Hi, this is Netta Laurene from SmackDown, and you're listening to Freeform Rock Podcast. are listening to the Freeform Rock Podcast with Mark Alden Taylor. Welcome to the Freeform Rock Podcast. Well, we don't suck, right, Lee? Yeah. <laughs> sucky, 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 doobie doo-wah. Sucky, 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 doobie doo-wah. Somebody said that should, be, podcast. that should be our tagline. Hey, we don't suck. You know, <laughs> I was like, yeah, <laughs> we only and, blow. And since <laughs> and it's the month of blues, so you know what that means. It's the month of Brian Davis from Damn Good Movie Memories and also Station.com on Wednesday nights, uh, 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 uh, p.m. Eastern. That's right. right. Got yep. it. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so, how you uh, doing, Brian? <laughs> I'm doing great, and I'm glad Lee's in a good mood. Oh, at least so far. <laughs> I don't see why not. <laughs> <laughs> you must be drinking the good shit today. Um, or, or, or at least it's not coming back up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bathtub gin isn't working, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 I forgot to swim to my bathtub. To my neighbor's bathtub and drink his gin. That's right. Hey, uh, <laughs> Jen, you're 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 Mr. Vodka. Do you drink anything else but vodka? Mr. Jen. Jen. Who's that? So oh, you, Jen. Jen, do you drink? Um, yeah, when <laughs> someone else is paying for it. <laughs> Why well, is vodka the cheapest of the hard liquors? Uh, yeah, it's at least a dollar cheaper. Damn, oh, okay. you know, um, 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 whiskey is a, it's like not, vodka is like 250 whiskey's like three bucks or 350 man, that's expensive. You <laughs> must get the small bottles. I get the small bottles, not, not the ones that are as small as my pinky finger, but the, you know, the, not the, I don't buy the huge stuff. You should go to like Costco and get the twelve dollar bottle of vodka. It's made by Grey Goose. It's just Kirkland brand. <laughs> there you go. Oh, you won't have to go to the okay. store as much. Yeah. All right. I'll I'll just have to spend a lot of money on transportation, but that's okay. <laughs> it all evens out in the end. <laughs> yeah. All right. So today we're uh, Brian's uh, pick for this week was uh, John Mayhall. Mayhall. May all yep. <laughs> and the blues breakers with Eric Clapton. Um, I think, did we do one of his albums, Lee? Yep. Yeah. And, um, this one is with Eric Clapton and we did Eric Clapton's solo record. The one in he did in Florida. I can't remember some address of a house. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I liked yeah, half four, of that album. One ocean Boulevard. I think. It, yeah. I yeah. liked half of that album. So mm -hmm. <laughs> Lee wasn't oh, happy cool. with the other half that I, and I don't think you liked the other half either, Lee, but I, I don't remember. Um, um, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. This is with Eric Clapton. Uh, it was known as the Beano album is a studio album by, uh, John Mayall and the blues breakers produced by Mike Vernon released in 1966 by Decca records and uh, pioneered guitar-dominated blues rock sound. The album was commercially successful, and most critics viewed it positively. In 2003 and 2012, Rolling Stone ranked it number 195 on its list of 500 greatest albums of all time. It was voted 
number 391 in uh, Colin Larkin's all-time 1000 albums in 2000. So how did you get into this one, Brian? Yeah, this is a lot like uh, the Paul Butterfield uh, blues band debut that we did uh, last week. And uh, my dad, you know, he, he I remember he uh, gave me the cassette when I was a kid. Uh, actually, I, I think technically he let me borrow it. And I just never gave it back. So I, I appreciate that. <laughs> my father. Oh, yeah. But uh, before again, before I got into hard rock and metal, I was only interested in blues and like old school rock and roll. So John Mayall's Blues Breakers was kind of a staple of my tape collection for many years. And uh, it was definitely the introduction to both Eric Clapton and John Mayall. Uh, from me, and then also hearing the bass work from John McVie, who of course went on to you know be in, in Fleetwood Mac. So uh, if you want to hear kind of an early showcase of, of Clapton's guitar work, this is really the album to start with, I think, uh, even, even more than the Yardbirds, because after this album, Clapton then you know uh, joined Cream, you know, and then uh, you know Clapton considered Mayall like a father figure during his short tenure with the band, and he really grew a ton as a guitar player and also a singer in, the, in this short amount of time. And and this album was incredibly influential on on many guitarists of the time, like a young Jimi Hendrix, because he went out and bought a Marshall amp after after seeing that Clapton used one, uh, at, at, you know, playing live. And it should be mentioned that even though the Yardbirds kind of get the distinction for being like the band. That was like the breeding ground for all these legendary guitarists in, in the rock world, of course, Clapton and Jeff Beck and, and Jimmy Page. John Mayall's band was just as prolific because you have Clapton, Peter Green, and then Mick Taylor. So, uh, yeah, you know, the, the John Mayall should, should not be forgotten and, and definitely not be scoffed at. Yeah. In fact, my, my sister saw John Mayall. It was only like maybe, I forget how many years ago, like maybe two or three. And uh, he's huh? still going strong. And she yeah, saw him in New York, and and she loved the song California, and she thought, should I ask him to do the song California? Because that's one of her favorite songs of his, but she went, but we're in New York. But she mentioned it, and he did it. And so she oh, thought nice. that was really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool, man. Um, I, I Like I said in the last episode, I, I didn't have anybody to get me into the blues, so I... I been into the blues but it's every all the blues that people know like the Yardbirds, led zeppelin stevie ray vaughn i don't know this sure. older i know well uh like bands like led zeppelin and uh paul rogers or bad company got me looking at the older blues guys like muddy waters and stuff like that so mm -hmm. uh, and uh also big head todd and the monsters when they had did boom 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 with uh john lee hooker i go man right. i love that john lee hooker guy it's <laughs> like this is freaking cool, and bands like that got got me to go look back, but I haven't went this far back, <laughs> so this is really cool listening to, uh, and I'm not really much of an Eric Clapton fan, but we'll get into this album, and I'll talk about that a little bit, why I don't like him <laughs> solo. Sure. Uh, so let's get into this album. We got the, make sure, Brian, you picked the, uh, the first song, All yep. Your Love, so here's All Your Love on the Freeform Rock Podcast. All the love 
Okay, that was All Your Love. Why did you pick that track, Brian? So this this wasn't uh, written by Otis Rush, but he, he definitely made it uh, popular. Uh, both Mayall and Eric Clapton loved this Otis Rush version when, when Clapton left the Yardbirds. And when when Clapton left, he moved into Mayall's house for a time being, and they would just play records nonstop. And one, one, once they heard this Otis Rush you know version, they had to record it because Clapton just loved to play it. And so right out of the gate, uh, Clapton just shines with that opening riff. And, and then Mayall comes in with his vocals. And most people will gravitate to this album because it's early Clapton right after he left the Yardbirds. But there's all sorts of twists and turns from this band that are really top notch. And, and Clapton thought the Yardbirds at the time were selling out and they were becoming too poppy because of the For Your Love single. So he left and then... Uh, we get into this band, and then you're seeing all sorts of different dynamics. Like the organ playing from John Mayall is fabulous, especially on this track. Uh, but man, when, when Clapton gets to his solo, he just lets loose. And, and it's one of my favorite solos from him. Uh, not just this album, but really his entire career. The tone is just crazy good. And you have to remember, this is 1965, and nobody was playing like this. Uh, and what people forget about Clapton is, uh, you know, they don't think he's like a flashy guitar player because of the later guitar players. But if you listen to this album and think about what was out at the time, he was actually way ahead of his time. And, and this song is a perfect example of why the album as a whole is so revered because the bl the band took these blues standards and they took them to a new another level and, and a different level for kids who are looking into getting into harder rock. And I think Clapton and Mayall took their love of traditional blues and then put their stamp on it. I, I that This is why I picked it. It's just a great opener. What did you think about it, Lee? Oh, yeah. Well, this is about as good as the best stuff of the Rolling Stones. The energy is fierce, and the keyboard part adds an element that wasn't in the very early Stones, or not in the same way. It's a really hot song. There were about 20 seconds before it went into the fast part that sounded like they were starting to lose steam, but they quickly picked it up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this song is very blues, and the freaking organ rules. And like you said, the middle starts picking up, and then it slows back down, and it could, and Eric Clapton's guitaring is just amazing. I have always liked him as a guitar player. It's just his... Some of his solo albums, I don't know why I don't like him as much, but I like him better with bands. I like him better in Cream. I like him better in The Yardbirds. I like him Derek better in Derek and the Dominoes. Derek and the Dominoes. Yeah. yeah. One album that you might like, or is good enough is called there's one in every crowd because he wrote mm. about half of that album well, and, I, and some of it's slow but i think it's pretty good well two albums i do like by him that are really good is august and behind the sun i, I mm. love both those albums and i know phil collins produced behind the sun and played drums on it so i really dug that album i had it on cd till somebody stole it uh, <laughs> do you like his uh, unplugged album uh, it's okay i don't I'm not really an unplugged guy. I like unplugged mm. if it's done well. And it's just um, Tears in Heaven. I never liked that song. I know it's a very personal song to him. It just bored me. Mm -hmm. And it made me sad. <laughs> so, because I knew oh, the it story. Is, yeah, it is definitely a downer it song. It made me but... sad. It's, but I like bands like, uh, well, Tesla, done unplugged, sure. Nirvana, freaking Alice in Chains. I like that stuff because it has like a harder edge to it for some mm -hmm. reason. They, they played in... I've even heard the Foo Fighters uh, unplugged, and I like it, but I hate that. I hate that on the radio. They play uh, that song. Um, 
Overlong or whatever it is. Oh, ever, yeah, ever, Everlong. Everlong. Yeah. They played acoustic version. I love the freaking plugged-in version so much. I go, man, where's the riffs on this one? <laughs> and K-Rock down here just keeps playing the acoustic version. I go, fuck, I get tired of this song. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man, this is a great opener. And then we get to the next track, which you also picked, the instrumental, Brian, Hideaway. <laughs> so here's Hideaway on the Freeform Rock Podcast. Hideaway, why'd you pick this track, Brian? So this was originally written and performed by uh, blues guitarist Freddie King, and, and both Mel and Clapton, uh, just like Otis Rush, they, they love Freddie King's playing. 
And many say if you want to get into the blues, you stick with the three kings, and that's B.B. King, Albert King, and Freddie King. And that's great advice because this is just a killer instrumental. It's so catchy. And it's just another chance for Clapton to kind of shine with, the, you know, the electric blues playing, which was, you know, again, very heavy for this time. And then you get those little breakdowns. They're just so great before Clapton goes back into ripping. So uh, there's there's many different little transitions in just a few minutes. And, and it's really, it's it's brilliant. And, and again, nobody was playing like this back, back then in the mid-60s. And I, I think it holds up really well today. What did you think about it, Lee? Oh, well... This is good and I like it, but it sounds a little bit too much like they wanted to be Paul Butterfield's blues band. Ah, okay. And they almost reached that level, but didn't quite. It's quite good if Paul Butterfield's band isn't put into the equation, but it didn't quite hit the awesome mark for me. Yeah, I think it's a killer groovy instrumental. It rocks and the solo rules. And hey, Brian, I want to ask you a question while I got yeah. you here. Yep. Uh, Eric Clapton, he did the song After Midnight, right? Yeah. But uh, which version do you like better? Do you like the original or the one that you used for the Miller commercial? <laughs> that You know, I don't really know if I know the Miller commercial. So I only know, I think I only know the original. Well, After Midnight for the Miller commercial was a lot, he sang a lot slower on it and it was more mm. grittier. I'll find oh, it for okay. you. I'll have to check it, he, he, check he it redid out. The, he redid that song and it's not as like hoppy as the original one, you know. He's, okay. He's singing like the Eric Clapton in the '80s, not the '70s. That's why I. That's why the '70s Eric Clapton gets me when he's mm. solo because his voice is weird and it, it. He gets more tougher in the '80s for some reason. His voice. Yeah. Well, he started to get off drugs and alcohol in the '80s too, so that probably made a difference as well. Oh. Yeah. His seventy. His seventy stuff is really. It, it's hit or miss for me as well. Uh, I, I enjoy a lot of it, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you. You know. Well, I'll find sure. you the After Midnight version that he okay. did for the Miller commercial, and I think it was a re-released version of it, and they used it. But uh, mm, I liked yeah. his. Re he redid it, and I go, "Hey, I like this song." <laughs> Like, well, there you before go. I couldn't get into it because my friend had the box set, that Latin box set, and uh, yeah, the gray I, one. Yeah. I liked half of the songs. I didn't like the other half. <laughs> no, I get it. Yep. Uh, and then we get to the next song, "Little Girl," which you picked, Lee. So here's yeah. a "Little Girl" on the Freeform Rock Podcast. <laughs>
Okay, that was Little Girl. Why'd you pick this track, Lee? This sounds like we're 10 years after got their influence. It's like um, a hot song that 10 years after might have done, but much better than anything off that group's first album. It's a great bluesy rocking song. It's tough and hot, and I really dig it. What'd you think about it, Brian? Yeah, th so this is uh, one of the original songs written by John Mayo on the album, and it was about a girl he was living with for a while. And then when things got rocky with them, he he'd write songs about it. So I, I don't think John Mayo gets enough credit for his vocals. I he sounds great on this album and and, uh, and other albums as well. You know, yeah. little girl, little girl is an example where if a pop band at the time who weren't like virtuosos of their instruments. If they had done this song, it would be like a simple pop song. But when you have a band that's like kind of in top form and they can really play their asses off, uh, yeah. they make kind of a, a basic pop song into a really cool rock song. And, and I think Ten Years After is a great example. Uh, and, and then in this case, especially when, when Clapton you know, gets to his solo, it's great. And then John McVie is great here on bass. I don't think he gets mentioned enough about his solid playing on, on this particular album, along with uh, Huey Flint on drums. Yeah, I didn't know he was on here until oh, he said yeah. it, and I I scrolled down Wikipedia. I go, oh, yeah, I love John McVie on bass. <laughs> He's a great bass yeah. player. Um, yeah, this song is awesome, man. Uh, it's it's a killer wrist to start the song. Loving the groove they have going on, and um, I already said I'm not much of a Clapton fan, but I do love him with Cream Jerick on the Dominoes and Blind Faith. But this track is awesome, man. I love it, and uh, I do yeah. love John's vo vocals though. Really good. Mm -hmm. um, I like like it a lot. I like it a lot. A lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Little movie humor there. All right, and then we get to the next song, Another Man. What would you think about this song, Brian? Yeah, here's another original written by uh, Mayall, and it's kind of a throwback to the early blues that you would have heard uh, from the early blues like harp guys like Sonny Boy Williamson or, or Little Walter. And I love how it's just him, the harmonica, and then some hand claps. And uh, it, it's it's the kind of the type of song that you would like sing to yourself if you're you know working somewhere or you're just driving around. It's quick. It, it doesn't wear out. It's welcome. And you'd have to think Robert Plant was kind of influenced by the sound, this sound, because he would do something similar to the you know the beginning of Bring It On Home, which was on Zeppelin Two, which was basically just a, a Sonny Boy Williams. Williams track that they uh you know made it a little bit heavier but that intro is very much like another man on, on for this album what'd you think about it lee this is a great country blues john mayle can certainly hold his own playing harmonica without accompaniment i wouldn't want to hear a whole album like this but for <laughs> one song i think it adds a cool element to it and it works really well yeah yeah it's cool hand claps with a killer blues harp going on this is short but sweet, but I love it. It's only a minute and 45 seconds, man. <laughs> <Have you ever laughs> That's a single. Of, have you ever heard a song that was like two minutes and it seemed like it was five? <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> I have, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like the song by Foreigner, Long, Long Way From Home. It's really short, mm -hmm. but it sounds like it goes on forever. <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. know what it what it mm -hmm. is about that track and some songs like that. I think it's really good. You just want to keep hearing it. Um, and then we get to the next song, Double Crossing Time. What do you think about this one, Brian? Yeah, this is the only track written by uh, Clapton, and it was also co-written by by Mail. And uh, it was originally written before this album, and it was supposed to just be a single, like a non-album uh, single. And originally it was going to be called Double Crossing Man, 
because Jack Bruce, who was in John Mayall's band, walked out on the band and then joined Manfred Mann. So that it was going to be kind of a, you know, like a wink uh, to him leaving. Uh, this definitely has like an Albert King sort of vibe. You know, great vocals from Mayall and, of course, Clapton shines and he makes every note count when he plays. A and the piano from Mayall is subtle, but it's terrific and just really well done. Slow blues song that fits well on the album. And, and Mayall, you know, obviously plays multi. He plays guitar. I don't know if he plays guitar on this, but he does play guitar. Uh, but he's pretty much piano, organ and, and harmonica here. What did you think about it, Lee? Oh, well... Um, this is another song that almost, but not quite, reaches the level of Ball Butterfield's blues band. But I will say the guitar work is fantastic and saves the song and makes it one I still like hearing. Oh, and I did watch that movie. I recommend it to everybody. It's on Amazon Prime free if you're a Prime member on uh, Paul Butterfield. Really yeah, horn, horn from the heart. I think it's yeah, it was yeah. pretty. It's pretty sad though. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. okay. Yeah, but it but it was good, man. It showed uh, the guy had a lot of influence on a lot of artists, man. He really did. And a lot of people wanted to play with him. <laughs> it's like, dang. Oh yeah. And the way he's he, he's in the last waltz with the band. Yeah, I think that's on there. So yeah. Well, he, oh yeah. I and he played the the harmonica upside down. I was like, wow, I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was a great movie, man. Great documentary. Uh, he's got his ex-wife in there. His sons are in there. Pretty cool. Yeah, and, right on. Um, double, and then we get to the uh, double crossing time. This rules. I love the piano. Like I love the piano that's played like this. It's so good with the soul on the vocals. This song you could smoke a joint to or sip some whiskey to, and the guitar sings. Man, can't get any better than this. I love this track. It's my favorite one on here. <laughs> oh wow! And then we get to the uh, last song on the first side of the vinyl what i'd say and when this is what uh lee picked so here's what i yeah. say on the freeform rock podcast Your power gonna move you by the Arkansas. Better what I say. Whoa, better what I say. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Better what I say. Better what I say. Oh, alright.
what i'd say why'd you pick this track lee this is one of the best songs on the album great rock and blues jazz stuff i could groove to this this sounds like it was the start of the blues jazz scene that came shortly after this quite hip and mick fleetwood's drum solo is also really hot mick fleetwood was on here <laughs> i don't think so uh, <laughs> You mean, you mean Huey, Huey Flint? Huey Flint. <laughs> um, Mick Fleetwood's the drummer. Is he? I, I didn't know that. For this? Yeah. Let me let me look this up. Let me look. The, it says Huey Flint. Mick Fleetwood. <laughs> on Wikipedia, it says, and it says Jack Bruce was on bass on a couple of these songs. Uh, doesn't say anything about Mick Fleetwood. Wikipedia Mick could Fleetwood, be wrong. Mick Fleetwood was on the album. No, it's Huey Flint. Was John Huey Flint was like some kind of um um early guy. <laughs> no, he's a, he's a, he was originally on the album. I I don't I don't know what Fleetwood was doing. I know definitely John McVie was on the bass, but well then I if if I got it wrong then I got it wrong. But whoever did the drums, it's good. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think we think it's Huey Flint, but we can be somebody can correct us. All right, what'd you think about the song, right? Well, so nothing can beat Ray Charles, because Ray Charles did the original version. I adore Ray Charles, so I won't try to say that this version comes close. However, the Blues Breakers add their own flavor to it, which is exactly what you should do when, when doing kind of a, a, a really well-known cover, uh, and especially a cover that was already a major hit. I, this song was probably only like six years old at the time, so it wasn't like in the iconic status like it is today, but still, you have to get it right. And I think the Blues Breakers did. The addition that the brand that the band brings, and Lee mentioned it, is is a few things. One, you get Clapton's guitar fills, and then the drum solo in the middle of the song, which was totally unique for the time. And, you know, on a studio album, and it's really well done. And, and there are a few uh, studio songs where you get a drum, drum, you know, drum solo, but when you do it, you better get it right. And I think they do here. And uh, this used to be their closing number uh, when they did have a, when Clapton was in the band. So. Yeah, only... And by the way, I just found out, yeah, it was Huey Flint. That's some I never knew. <laughs> I can put in the notes, this is Stump the Lee. <laughs> Stump the Lee. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> you know uh, that's a trip. When I'm usually very right, but when I'm wrong, I'm very embarrassingly wrong. And this is that time. Oh, one of the—I think one of the best drum solos in the middle of a song is freaking "Radar Love" by uh, mm. uh, Golden Earring. Golden Earring, and then uh, "White Lion." I think took it to a new level with that drum solo. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, they use this drum solo? Cool. No, I'm saying a drum solo in the middle of a song. <laughs> if it's not done right, it doesn't sound good. guess it on Golden Earring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, this song is awesome. I love the Ray Charles version too. Uh, 
Sure. Love the organ. It's got a great groove. Another kickback song. Good killer drum solo in the middle. This rules, man. Go, man, go. <laughs> I love it. And then we turn this <laughs> over to side two, and we get to Key to Love. What do you think about this one, Brian? This is another original from from John Mayall. It was also written about the same woman that he wrote about in, in Little Girl. Uh, I love the start of the song with the horns up front, and then they just kind of add flavor throughout the song, which is great and uh, really a cool upbeat rhythm. Uh, and then and then Clapton just comes in ringing with his guitar solo again. Nobody was playing like him back in you know 1965, 66. So really killer guitar guitar tone here. And my only beef with the songs is I think it should be longer. You know, uh, it really comes in and comes and goes quickly at just over two minutes. I, I think it's a great track, great way to lead off side two. What did you think about it, Lee? This is like a rocking version of Mose Allison. Mm. It's really good. It's one of the jumpiest songs on here. And I wouldn't mind seeing some women dancing to this. Two thumbs up, especially on the really fierce guitar solo. What did I say about it? I said, this is a cool jam. I wish the horns were in the mix more. But as I was listening to this, I figured out I was listening to the mono version. Mm. So I went to the stereo version. But the stereo had them higher in the mix. And the vocals were much clearer. I like the stereo mix better now. And the solo on this rules. <laughs> Because I went back and forth from stereo to mono, and then I kept go after I figured out there was a stereo version, it was Lee told me all oh, the extra tracks of the stereo version. I go, oh. So I started going to the stereo version in the middle of this review, and I go, oh, wow, I like And I went back and listened to all the songs in stereo. I go, I like it better on stereo. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, I don't, it's muddy in the mono version. In the mm. stereo version, it's a little bit more clearer. For me, I don't know. I, I do like the Beatles in mono. It doesn't sound muddy at all. Mm -hmm. I, I do like I do like the Beatles in stereo. I will say generally, I like a lot of stuff in stereo. Usually, there's some stuff that I like better in mono. For me, I heard the stereo version of the album so much that just for me, hearing the mono version there wasn't as much separation of the instruments and I was able to hear everything um, with fresh ears. Yeah. So I listened to the mono for this review, but otherwise I usually agree when it comes to stereo. Yeah. Cause when I went to the stereo version, the horns were a lot clearer. They weren't a lot, they were muddier in the mono and I go, mm -hmm. Oh, there's the horns. Now they're higher in the mix. <laughs> Cause I like <laughs> the horn sound on this song. It was really cool. Yeah. And then we get to the next song, Parchman Farm. What did you think about this one, uh, Brian? So it was originally written uh, by Buka White in 1940, and then made, and it was later made famous by uh, a guy that Lee just mentioned, uh, Mos Allison. And he was a well-known blues jazz guy, especially in, in Europe. Uh, he, the Who famously covered uh, Young Man Blues, uh, often in their live show, which was a most Allison track. And in the case of Parchment Farm, is this is just a fun jump blues kind of track. It's, it's upbeat, much like uh, Key to Love, but more in a, you know, a traditional old school blues way, which makes sense because it was written in the early years of the of the blues. And it's kind of song that you would you would get up and dance to like at a juke joint, you know, way back when. And a great harmonica from Mayall on this one and some nice uh, subtle keyboard fills as well, which is pretty cool. And you speak of the harmonica, after listening to Paul Butterfield, man, nobody compares to him on harmonica anymore. 
It's like, <laughs> I was listening to this and I was listening to harmonica. I go, that's not Paul Butterfield. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's, it is. A, it's like comparing guitar. Like you hear a certain guitarist, then you get another. And it's just a, just a different style. That's, that's all. Yeah, I love his harmonica playing. And I was going, ah, oh, that's a little lower than Paul would do. <laughs> like, what did you think about this song, Ali? I want to say, first of all, that even though I found out that Mose didn't actually write it, he did attribute it to himself. So my notes are kind of lazy um, and attributing it to him. But I'm just going to say, going from a song that sounds like Mose Allison to a song by Mose Allison, and they sound like him, mm-hmm. but they do it even better. They managed to do his sound which is not easy. Kudos to them. I dig it. <laughs> yeah, this was a really good song. I enjoyed it. And uh, traditional blues here and uh, the harmonica playing is good, but not up to the level of Paul Butterfield. Like I just said, I was <laughs> like, I, after I heard Paul Butterfield, I'm like comparing all the harmonica, even Huey Lewis. I go, Huey Lewis is almost there. <laughs> and I go, but, but fucking Paul Butterfield, man, that guy could rock it. You know? I, yeah. Fucking, I think Dan Aykroyd's just as good as him, too, <laughs> when he plays the harmonica. <laughs> Freaking, I, I love this song. This is great. And uh, the stereo mix is way better. It sounds more balanced. I love it. And then uh, we get to the next song, Have You Heard. What do you think about this one, Brian? Yeah, before I get into this, definitely check it. If you want some old blues guys, you know, Lee loves Little Walter. Check out Little Walter, because that's who definitely inspired... Um... Uh, Paul Butterfield, but also check out like James Cotton and those guys. Like James Cotton was pretty badass as well. He was in Muddy Waters Blues Band and things like that. I think you'd you'd really enjoy their playing as well. Um, so for Have You Heard, this is the last of the original tracks written by uh, John Mayall, and it was written again about that same woman. So she kudos to her because they got like, three great songs out of her. Uh, total down, <laughs> total down and dirty blues, but with a bit of a jazz flavor because they use the saxophones and and they're and they're featured prominently on this track. And that's a great thing about this album; it never gets repetitive. And part of the reason is is the different tempos and the use of different instruments throughout the album. And uh, it's the longest track as well, and it allows the guys to kind of stretch out a bit as opposed to those more shorter songs. So Clapton really gets to kind of play his ass off on this one. And again, we've mentioned it. The blues is all about feel. He, he doesn't need to play a million notes at once to kind of make his point. And it's about space and when to play and when not to play. And I think Clapton kind of perfectly nails this essence uh, in the, of the mindset of, of this uh, track. And it's one of the reasons that many traditional blues guys just didn't dig metal guitarists and those type of metal guitarists because they when they tried to play the blues blues purists weren't impressed with speed for the sake of speed it all has its own place but uh blues guys are more about making every note count and and that's what this song does so what'd you think about it lee this is done well but if i were at a club and this were playing i'd probably think about going home (laughs) it's a bit slow for my taste but I do recognize they play well on it. Yeah, I love the sax on this song, and it sounds so good and bluesy, and the vocals are so good. Another song to drink to, man. <laughs> Bottoms up. I love this, man. The blues make you want to drink, man. What's up with this? More than metal. <laughs> it's like you just Makes wanna, sense. Just want to sit there and like you hear that slow guitar solo or harmonica and just sip some whiskey or Whatever you like to drink, beer. Or yeah, whatever. it doesn't matter what what notes you do. It doesn't matter what you talk about. It don't matter whether it's repeated. It don't even matter if you're hearing the same song. 
as long as they <laughs> call it something different, you can make a whole album and 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 you all will like it. Yep. All right. <laughs> we get to the next track, "Rambling on My Mind." What do you think about this one, Brian? So this is written by the legendary bluesman uh, Robert Johnson, and uh, the only track that actually Clapton sings on here. And as a matter of fact, it's the first song he ever sang lead on an album. Uh, Clapton was a huge Robert Johnson fan. He still is, of course. And John Mayall really encouraged him to sing on, on this track. And, and Clapton was hesitant, but Mayall knew he, he had the chops to sing. And, and as a kid, this was always my favorite song because I dug Clapton's voice and the basic blues riff with the uh, blues piano in the background, no drums. They just kind of kept it old school and, and simple, but still updated, which was cool. And I love Clapton's restrained guitar solo here. But really the star here is John Mayall on piano. Without without the drums, you need something to keep up the beat. And that's what Mayall does with the piano. I think it's a, a fabulous version. What did you think about it, Lee? Um, well, this doesn't do anything for me. It sounds too second tier. It sounds like the bar band had a half hour left to play, but nobody is around. So they're going through the motions to collect their paycheck. It's the one filler song. Oh, wow. Um, I love the honky-tonk piano on this. It rules. And the slow riffs going with it. And the vocals rule also. Uh, cool guitar. Vocals are and killer honky-tonk piano, man. This song rules. <laughs> I love Clapton's vocals on this one. And I'm not a fan of his vocals. Oh, well, I am when he sings in other bands. But mm -hmm. uh, for some reason, solo, it... It's hit or miss, like you said, 70s Clapton's hit or miss. Yeah. Uh, so this is a great song. I like it. I, I disagree with you, Lee. <laughs> Clapton, you're hit and miss, but on the song I give you a kiss. Clapton, you're hit and miss, but I'm too drunk. Hell, I'll give you a kiss. <laughs> All right, then we get to the next song, Step It Out. What did you think about this one, Brian? Well, I don't know if I can top Lee's little little uh, little dance. Oh, there, well, but... well, please don't make it um, a track of the week. Thank okay. you. <laughs> uh, this is the other stepping out's the other instrumental on the album, and it was originally written by Memphis Slim in 1959. So the saxophones again, they add some great flavor to the song, but Clapton just rips here. And you get a great organ solo from, from John Mayall. And it's a shame we, again, we only got one album from this lineup because as much as I love Peter Green and, and the McTaylor years, I don't think anything can top this album for John Mayall. It's a, it's a simply, it's a must-own for blues lovers. Also, I love kind of the fake-out ending towards the end of, of this track. Uh, and then Clapton comes back in with a great intro rip before finishing off the song. I, I think it's fabulous. What do you think about it, Lee? This pretty much equals the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. This is one of the best songs on the album, and the guitar work is awesome. This is fierce and great. Yeah, it's killer riff to start the song, and the bass on this one is high in the mix. I love it. It's killer instrumental. I could hear Stevie Ray Vaughan doing this whole album, or Government Mule doing this whole album. Mm -hmm. uh, so Government Mule can get on it. Stevie can't, but uh, Government Mule, you should do a covers album of this album. <laughs> I would like to hear how they do and it. And make it better than the <laughs> other album. <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot of albums, Lee. That was just the one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, then make it better than all those albums. <laughs> <laughs> then we get to the last track on the album, It Ain't Right. What'd you think about this one, Brian? So it's a cover song from uh, Little Walter, and man, what a way to end the album. This is this song is so good, and if you're driving, you're going to increase your speed subconsciously. The riff from Clapton is great. 
Uh, and then Mayall just wails on harmonica all over it. I think this is definitely his best harmonica performance on the album. And one of my favorite tracks from the from the album. It's a total barn burner. And uh, I the great ending here with the you know the kind of the blues standard type breakdown. Perfect way to end that. Perfect way to end the album. What did you think about it, Lee? It's a cool country blues number. It's a good album closer, and it's a little more mellow in the country blues tradition, but it's still a great song, and the band plays with gusto. Very cool. Yeah, that's a great track. Killer blues jammed in the album, and the blues harp goes off. Fucking love this track. Great song to end a great album, man. I, I liked all the songs on here, uh, Brian. Thank you, man. Awesome. No, no it's problem. Great. Lee uh, didn't like as much, but uh, he did like. Well, it. I liked. Uh, I, I I would say um, I I yeah, but 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 hey, you know um, you know, I'll 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 still listen to it over. Um, I don't I I don't know, but I I'll listen to it over a lot of albums. Well, this is an album I would like to get on vinyl. This is really cool. I'm gonna look for it. Uh, yeah, they have it. It's out there. I I, I have it. So. Oh, cool. I'm gonna check. Yeah. I'm gonna get this one as soon as I get money. <laughs> Money's kind of scarce right. You now. might as well look for a old copy in mm -hmm. a used record store as opposed to being. Hey, I'm a millennial. I need 181 and a half grams for fifty dollars <laughs> with that extra cool etching on the vinyl. I like gold cover stuff. I'd like to show people a nice shiny cover. You know, you can find one probably somewhere for five bucks or ten bucks if you look hard enough. You know, I, or, or I mean, that's that's just what I used to tell myself. Mm -hmm. I got the, I, this one's actually tougher to find. I, I I've always looked. Oh, and okay. There's plenty of male stuff out there. It's just not not the first three albums because that that's the biggest. You know, because you have. Clapton, uh, Peter Green, and McTaylor. So you may have to actually buy this one new. But if you can find yeah. it, you can definitely do it. So I will say that for this one, I did when I actually bought it. I did have to buy a reissue of it. I couldn't <laughs> find the original. I mean, I think I found A Hard Road, and I found Crusade. I yeah. forget if they were completely original, but I found them for used. Mm -hmm. but, but this one, I did have to buy it. But I mean, at the time I bought it, was, which was like about 20, at least 20 years ago, it was about $6. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I did get the 2112 Rush 200 gram for uh, $25. And it had, oh. a, it had an etching on, on side four. So. <laughs> there you go. Oh, lovely. Yeah, it was hey, great. Hey, man, it's cool. I mean, if, if you're someone who's into Rush, you're someone who's also into looking at insects through... Um, these bug glasses with <laughs> with um, um, laser light and 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 and, and with with your um, lady friend who looks like she watched the movie War Games two hundred times. So hey, you're right up there, man. <laughs> hey, she probably did. She loves that movie, and so do I. Hey, hey, I do too. Next time I should start the the episode. Go. Do you want to play a game? <laughs> Shall we? And I would say you Shall took we play the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Man, did, you, did you check out the two bonus tracks, uh, for the Lonely Years and um, I think it was Bernard Jenkins? I couldn't figure it out with the bonus tracks because it went. Okay. Uh, I um because it like I was going to and I wasn't. I I don't think I was able to, or if I did, I forgot to talk about them. 
Well, go ahead, yeah. Brian. Tell us about the bonus tracks. Sure. On my okay. copy, it, it went stereo to mono on the same thing. Oh. So it's kind of confusing. Yeah, it was on, it was on a, a CD reissue that I, I have. It's not on the vinyl. Um, this was actually written by, uh, Blown Years was written by Mail. And then it was released as a non-album single a month before this album was actually released. And, and it's very traditional. It's old school blues. There's no drums. Uh, Mail sings it and kind of plays really like in a harmonica and then clapped on a guitar. It definitely sounds like it could have been written in the 30s because it has that kind of Robert Johnson flavor to it. It was kind of weird at the time and kind of get, go off on a little bit of a tangent. You know, record companies would do like this all the time back in this era, meaning folks maybe wouldn't shell out the cash for a full length, you know, LP, but then they buy a 45. And so if they dug those two non-album tracks, then they buy the album. And I think that was their thinking here. But that would get frustrating in some cases, like with Deep Purple, because they had that amazing song, Black Knight, which should have been on Deep Purple and Rock. But instead, it was released as a non-album single. And I think the labels were just thinking, well, either people were only going to buy singles, or if they were super fans, they would double dip. And, and I think that, that probably was the case here. I, I think it's a good song, but it wasn't as stellar as the main album. And, uh, it was, but it was nice to have it as a bonus track. Uh, a few years, you know, many years later. Uh, the other one is uh, Bernard Jenkins, and that was a, a B-side, The Lonely Years. It, this was actually written by Clapton. Uh, it's a good track, and it's a nice bonus track, but again, it's not as good as the 12 songs that have made the official album. And it's, it's just an instrumental without drums, um, Clapton on guitar, male on piano. And considering there was already, like, two instrumentals on the album, I don't think there was a need for three so uh again happy to have it as a bonus track but uh not essential on the actual album yeah it, was it like, almost yeah. a warm-up type song for the band like a live jam session it was like what they did with the beatles they would release singles in between albums and it wouldn't be on an album i go where the fuck is this song at <laughs> it would be like a group who had every single moment that they recorded on the album but for some reason the engineer found five seconds that hadn't been used and everyone's looking for that five seconds so they put it on and it's a one two I forgot one which two song, three four which songs but i think it was like drive my car or something else that was in between albums but what i mean is yeah yeah but, but what i mean is like the five seconds that they found were just someone saying a one two a one two three four <laughs> I don't, you know, I got those uh, bonus, uh, the Beatles, uh, Sgt. Peppers, and they have a lot of the demo tracks, and that's what they basically do on those demo tracks. You hear them playing piano and just working out the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. It bores it, me a little are, bit, but it's interesting. Sure, sure. And there are times when they, yeah, like, it's boring like, and interesting. <laughs> there are times when, they, when, like, the Stones got it right. I mean, like, Jumpin' Jack Flash was a single, and it should have been on an album. Or, like, Honky Tonk Woman, the, the, or Women, when they... Because on, I think it was Let It Bleed, it's like Country Honk. It's like just a country song, but then they made it into a rock song as a single. So that that's stuff where, where that's cool. Yeah, it was cool, man. It's like what they do today, streaming, everybody buys the single again. It's like back right. in the 60s again. I it's go, man, it's I like the albums. <laughs> Oh, me too. Me too. And I think what they'll do, I, I think like what Clutch is doing, they'll they'll do singles and then they'll, they'll, they'll those people that want it, that's great. And then eventually once all their singles are out, then they'll just they'll make a, a, a limited uh, complete pressing for those that like us that want the full you know album. Well, Stephen Piercy was doing that with his uh, solo albums. He was like releasing singles and singles and then finally he just put it together as a CD. 
Hmm? You know, I was like, it was really cool. His uh, last two studio albums were really good. Yeah, that, that, that might be the way to go for some artists, you know. Yeah. And, it's, and if they don't have a full-length album, then they'll just stick with those singles. Yeah, and then we uh, get to our tracks of the week. But before we get to that, I'd like to thank you again, Brian. This is our third episode in the month of Brian of Blues. So right on. Thank you very yeah. much. And uh, thank you guys. Give, give people, uh, tell them where you're at. So yeah, first of all, we'll, we'll talk about the music thing. So you can definitely go to thatmetalstation.com every Wednesday night at uh, 11 p.m. Eastern time, uh, 8 p.m. Pacific, and you can check out the Bad Beat. You'll you'll see Mark in the chat room requesting stuff, and it's always a good time. And then uh, if you're into movies, I've had a movie podcast for over four years and I have over 200 episodes, and you can check out Damn Good Movie Memories wherever you listen to your podcast. That's a great, uh, great podcast and great uh, radio show. I'm going to be sad when I do go back to work, but hopefully I get home before 8 o'clock uh, Pacific. <laughs> I think oh, I'll yeah. before then, unless they change my hours. <laughs> That'll be okay, because we're, you know, we're on late, and uh, yeah. you can always li- maybe listen in your car, too, if you wanted to. You can yeah, I can it. listen to my car, but it's fun being in the chat room with you guys. Of course, of course. Yeah, and then we get to our tracks of the week, and uh, Brian, you picked uh, Robert Johnson's version of Rambling on My Mind. Yep. And then Lee picked Poco and Settling yep. Down. I uh-huh. like Poco and I like Robert Johnson, really good. And then, uh, oh, okay. And I, some of those members of Poco were in other bands later, weren't they? It's like, yeah. Uh, and then we got, and then I picked uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, "The Sky Is Crying," to go with the nice. blues okay. theme here. And then we got Lee's uh, track of the week, "Meat Like Meat," like you're cooking meat. Me in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So what is that? Is that about your morning wood or something? <laughs> um. um... No, it was just, um, that was written during the time that I was also doing another song of mine, the remake, um, which ended up being the only one that people know about of a famous song of mine, if you can call it famous. But I, I did Meet Me in the Morning also during that time. I thought you were doing it, some sort of double entendre and they doing a <laughs> David Lee Roth or something. <laughs> uh, well, it was like, um, you don't have to be a vegetable to call it my love or some so uh, yeah yeah a little bit of a double entendre cooking thing <laughs> well we, we, we he's too modest but what i'll tell you is mick fleetwood's a guest on the track so you, you'll look forward to it <laughs> yeah man <laughs> I, and i was too drunk in order to tell him hey man you're out of the session and so that's he right kept playing and i went fuck it if it sounds drunk it must be me <laughs> Hey, uh, some music news. I heard they're trying to get Lindsay back in Fleetwood Mac again. <laughs> no way. I guess they learned uh, Mike Campbell and uh, the guy from Crowded House ain't working out. <laughs> well, if they don't have to tour together, they can just do virtual shows. They don't have to be in the same room. It might work. Yeah. But, uh, well, yeah Lin- Lindsay gets along with the whole go, band. You little, you, you, you old piece of, oh, oh, the camera went off. It's just, like exactly. it's just him and Stevie for some reason Stevie just holds so much shit against him still yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess Christine and the rest of the band were surprised Stevie wanted them out but they listened to her because she's the cash cow uh, yeah. so uh-huh. let's get to our tracks of the week uh, Brian's is Robert Johnson rambling on my mind Lee is Poco and settling down and mine is Stevie Ray Vaughan the sky is crying and we end it with Lee Meet like hamburger meat, me in the morning on the Freeform Rock Podcast. And until next week, Brian, thank you for being on here again so much. No problem. Thank you, guys. And uh, Lee, you know what to do, man. You need to say, get the fuck out of here.
Okay, everybody, get out of here, but meet M-E-E-T us next week. Okay, that was Lee saying his goodbyes. Later, guys. Right.
You have just listened to the Freeform Rock Podcast. All music played on the Freeform Rock Podcast belongs to its owner. If you like it, go out and buy it. Get your music on Amazon, iTunes, or at your local record store. Support what you love. Support the artists by seeing them live. Purchase their music. The Freeform Rock Podcast is not affiliated with any of the artists or music that we play. Thank you for listening to the Freeform Rock Podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. Until next time, stay free and rock on.